And now, The Mentors Radio, one of the most popular and unique shows on the air today. Here each week, remarkable CEOs and leaders, including hosts Tom Laurie and Dan Hesse, and their guests will mentor you, challenging your thinking about life and work. Sought after for their ethical leadership and advice, and for helping others succeed throughout their careers, now these same CEOs, the mentors, want to help you achieve your highest level of profitability, success, and personal fulfillment in life, at work, and in business. Learn more and check out the show notes at TheMentorsRadio.com. That's TheMentorsRadio.com. And now, here's your mentor. Welcome. I'm Dan Hesse, and I'll be your host today. Thanks for joining us. Our special guest today is Admiral Fat Allen, retired commandant of the U.S. Coast Guard. Few are so admired for effective leadership during a crisis. He led the Atlantic Coast Guard forces after the 9-11 attacks and coordinated the Coast Guard response to the Haitian earthquake. But after President George W. Bush asked Admiral Allen to replace, to replace FEMA head Michael Brown as the leader of the federal response to Hurricane Katrina, and President Obama again asked him to lead the federal recovery and cleanup efforts after the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, Admiral Allen earned the Time Magazine moniker, the Master of Disaster. Thad captained the football team as a cadet at the U.S. Coast Guard Academy. He earned master's degrees from George Washington University and from MIT, and he is the recipient of five honorary doctorate degrees. He chairs or serves on several federal advisory committees, is a member of the Board of Visitors, to the National Intelligence University, and he's a member of the Controller General's Advisory Board. Welcome, Thad, and can I call you Thadmiral like your friends? You sure can, Dan. <laughs> well, you and I share a few things in common, one being we both enjoyed great relationships with our career military fathers, but I chose not to follow my father into service, uh, but you did. What attracted you to a life in the Coast Guard? Well, Dan, you know, my uh, father is retired from the Coast Guard. In fact, he uh, lied about his age and went into the Coast Guard when he was 16 after the Pearl Harbor attack. Uh, we moved all over the West Coast. In fact, I started grade school in Alaska when it was a territory. He ultimately retired and moved to Arizona. So when I was looking for a choice of colleges, among my other choices, I applied to the Coast Guard Academy. Really didn't have an intention to go there, uh, but I, I wanted to apply because I knew a lot about the service. Of course, my dad would be proud of that. Ultimately, uh, my senior year in high school, uh, our football team had a turn of events and we lost several games and our coach started playing all the younger players. And it made me so angry. I realized if I went to the Coast Guard Academy, which was a division three school, I might be able to walk on and play football and then go tell my coach to shove it. And uh, that's what I did. I accepted the appointment of the Coast Guard Academy. I walked on and was the captain of the team my senior year. So he won the state championship the next year. So I don't know who got who on that. <laughs> so, um, you know, talking about growing up as a, as a Coast Guard brat, um, you told me the story once of you were climbing up some pipes, I guess, from a river and, as you, in, you know, you got in trouble, but you could up on the hill, you could see this incredible mansion and it was the Admiral's mansion. And many years later, you were a special guest at that mansion. Can you tell me what that felt like? Sure. And actually, it was Yerba Buena Island, which is in the middle of the uh, San Francisco Oakland Bay Bridge. There's a Coast Guard base down on the water. And my dad was in on the weekend doing some work and I went in with him. And there was a pipe that went up to the lighthouse up on top of the hill. And the lighthouse happened to be the uh, where the admiral lived. They had converted the old quarters, uh, keepers' quarters, into the admiral's residence. So I climbed up the pipe and was messing around in the backyard. And on Monday, when my dad came into work, he got upbraided for letting me wander around and go up and bother in the admiral and get in his backyard. And I tell everybody, uh, a number of decades later, I walked through the front door. <laughs> um, so uh, I'm gonna. Flash forward a bit. Um, uh, in 2005, Hurricane Katrina decimates parts of the Gulf Coast and inland, especially New Orleans. The situation's out of control. It's deteriorating. And President George W. Bush wants to replace FEMA's head, uh, Michael Brown, with you to lead the federal response. Who did you talk to in considering that offer? And what principles did you use in deciding whether to do it? Well, my main interlocutor was my wife, Pam. 
<laughs> and when I got the call from the White House and they asked me to go to New Orleans at that point, uh, the original uh, direction was that I would go down and support Mike Brown in New Orleans. Ultimately, I, I relieved him completely. And we were going over the, the pluses and minuses, and I had told Pam that I wasn't sure that the windows hadn't closed to do the right things down there where it could be salvaged, because this was almost a week later. And Pam reminded me that my favorite definition of leadership is the ability to reconcile opportunity and competency. And she kind of told me to man up. Uh, ultimately, when I was gone from home for six months, she probably would have reconsidered that. But uh, uh, based on our long conversation and most anything meaningful in life is done with your partner, uh, whether it's uh, talking about serious items or over a glass of wine at dinner. But ultimately, uh, I took her counsel and went. Well, you know, in, in business, talking about difficult situations and turnarounds as the CEO, you know, I faced a few, but, you know, I had what I think you would call unity of command. I was in charge. You come into Katrina. Um, it's a much more difficult situation. You have to deal with all these competing agendas, local government, state government, federal government, the local population, the private sector, various branches of the military. How did you lead this dog's breakfast of constituents? Actually, that's not a bad description. Dan. Uh, <laughs> When I flew into New Orleans, and it was actually the morning of the, I believe it was the 6th of September, uh, the city was completely immersed in black water. Uh, there was no drinking water, no electricity. Uh, the sewage system was completely overrun. And I couldn't figure out why we got to where we were at. And everybody had seen on CNN, you know, they were going out and there would be a uh, set of remains on a street corner. The next day they were still there. Everybody was outraged at the lack of the ability of the state, local, and federal government to kind of make things happen. I kind of had to devise a problem statement that made sense to me about how we should organize and attack the problem. And I realized after the after I had landed and talked to folks that the real problem in New Orleans was that we weren't dealing with the hurricane anymore. Uh, Katrina was gone in about 40, you know, 48 hours. What really happened down there was the city was taken down almost like a weapon a mass effect would, but there was no terrorist or criminal. And it resulted in a loss of continuity of government. So there wasn't credible government in the city of New Orleans and at the state level in some cases to be able to take the resources that were being flowed in dramatically and apply those to any kind of mission effect. So it was an issue of trying to understand how to organize and apply the resources down there to the highest need. And once we figured out that's what we needed to do, then it was to create unity of effort among all the responders and create a plan and execute. Well, we'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Admiral Thad Allen, former Commandant of the U.S. Coast Guard, as we discuss how he brought together constituents with competing agendas to solve a monumental crisis in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Go to our website, thementorsradio.com, and click on List of Shows to listen to past guests. This is Dan Hesse, and you are listening to The Mentors Radio Show. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of Bulletproof founder, Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus, like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO-level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially nonprofits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize 
digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at KML-PC.com. That's KML-PC.com. KML-PC.com. And mention The Mentors. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Dan Hesse, and I'm with Admiral Fat Allen, former Commandant of the U.S. Coast Guard, and we're talking about leading during a crisis. Remember, you can also listen to the show or any previous show via podcast on iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more. On any device at any time, subscribe at thementorsradio.com. Well, that I've spoken about kind of culture being the MVP of Sprint's turnaround from the brink of bankruptcy, which kind of gelled us together as a team. Tell us about your first big meeting, as I understand it. You were named the new leader. You're with this huge, diverse group. I think it was in Baton Rouge, and you kind of jumped up on a table with a megaphone. Tell me about that and what you said. Well, uh, after I had been in New Orleans and we had organized the recovery down there, working with the uh, military forces from U.S. Northern Command, uh, Secretary Chertoff called me to Baton Rouge and advised me that they were going to hold a press conference and that I would relieve Mike Brown of the entire response. Uh, he called Mike Brown in and told him, you can imagine how that went over. And what happened after that was probably the most uncomfortable news conference I've ever been involved in. Uh, but on the way into the building that morning, I stopped and talked to one of the FEMA responders. And uh, this gal was so very proud of what she was doing, but she was completely demoralized because every time she went back to her hotel room at night, all she could see was her agency and her leaders being vilified. And I kept thinking about that. And when everybody left and I was in charge, uh, I asked my aide to gather everybody in the first floor what was an old Dillard's warehouse so I could speak to them all. Uh, I went down and I got a megaphone and I got up on a desk and I basically said, I've got to go back to New Orleans for 24 hours to make sure we sustain our operations down there. Uh, and I looked out at a sea of faces that looked just like that uh, woman that I had talked to coming in the building. So I kind of said, uh, I'm giving you all an order. And I had no legal authority to give an order. Uh, but there's an old saying, you don't have sovereignty unless you can exert it. Uh, and so I told everybody, I'm giving you an order. You to treat everybody you come in contact with as if they were a member of your own family, your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, whatever. If you do that, two things are going to happen. One, if you make a mistake, you're going to err on the side of doing too much. And if somebody's got a problem with what you're doing, their problems with me because I told you. Uh, at that point, uh, there was a collective uh, side that changed the barometric pressure in the building. And some people actually started openly weeping. Uh, nobody had ever told these people in clear, uh, uncertain terms what the mission was. And nobody had ever told these people that somebody had their back. This is Dan Hesse. You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We're with Admiral Fat Allen, who led the federal response to the Hurricane Katrina and Rita disasters. Um, that was really re remarkable, Fad. Um, so something else you did, you know, kind of in difficult situations, it's really important to have the right players on the field with you. Can you explain your concept of dogs that hunt? Yeah, I sure can. <laughs> uh, I remember a briefing I did with a very senior admiral when I was a lieutenant commander. Uh, and uh, he was joking with one of the other admirals about his team. Uh, and there's an old saying in the South, that dog don't hunt. Uh, and he looked around, he said, these are the dogs that hunt. Uh, so I always remembered that line. And on my way to the airport to fly to Louisiana after I'd been asked to deploy at the request of Secretary Chertoff and the president, I called five people that had worked with me before that I trusted implicitly that had wide range of skills and diverse backgrounds. And I, I asked them just one thing. I said, find me in New Orleans tomorrow night. And they work for different commands. Uh, they had different means of uh, travel. They had different circumstances. Uh, but by the next night, they were all in New Orleans. And they were with me for the next six months. Everybody should keep a list of their dogs. 
Well, um, about a year that into kind of our sprints turnaround journey, you know, things were looking better, but then all of a sudden the financial markets collapsed. The Great Recession began, which was like kind of throwing gasoline all over the fire. Months into the Katrina recovery, Hurricane Rita hits. Um, how did you deal with that? Do, did the kind of the priorities and culture and organization you put together for Katrina help you with that? Uh, it certainly did. Uh, a couple of things were different about Rita. Rita, by the way, was an extraordinarily devastating storm, but it came into uh, southwest Louisiana and uh, southeast Texas. Uh, large areas were uninhabited, but still uh, the devastation went 30 miles inland to Lake Charles. Uh, I worked with uh, Lieutenant General Russ Honore, who led the uh, U.S. forces under U.S. Northern Command. And since we already had forces on the ground and we had addressed a lot of the problems in New Orleans, uh, he took his forces with vehicles and uh, several thousand people and he maneuvered to Lafayette. And he basically put them in an indoor football field there. And they were able to get into Lake Charles immediately after they had conditions where there were still three or four feet of water, but they had high water vehicles. So we had forces in place. We knew what the problems were uh, with Katrina, went through immediately, immediately. And while it was devastating down there, we were able to have a greater impact sooner and forego a lot of the problems that we experienced during Katrina. So, uh, so Admiral Allen, what was it like to work with President Bush? Well, as, as we're going to talk about it, I, I worked with both President Bush and uh, President Obama. Uh, and I liked them both immensely, but they're both very different people. Uh, President Bush is very outgoing and gregarious. He has almost a playful attitude about how he deals with life and people around him. And that doesn't mean that he's not capable of uh, serious decisions and leadership. Uh, but I found it very... Uh, uh, Maybe laid back is too too strong a word, but it was very informal. Uh, you would never have known you were standing there talking to the president of the United States because he acted very human. He treated everybody around him like human beings. At one point, we were flying in a helicopter over southwest Louisiana, uh, and he reached into a bag and pulled out a sandwich, and he tore it in half, and he says, you want half? <laughs> you know, that's the kind of guy he is. Uh, now, didn't... Um... Didn't he ask you if you'd seen your family for a while and, and you hadn't and he he helped with that? Yeah, we had did a we had done a recon flight over southwest Louisiana and we landed at the Lake Charles Airport on the helicopter and Air Force One was waiting to take him back to DC. And while we were in the helicopter making our, our approach, he leaned over and he said, uh, you've been home to see your family. And I said, uh, no, Mr. President, I haven't. He said, Are you gonna go? And I said, well, I'm thinking about maybe going this next weekend. He said, well, why wouldn't you go this next weekend? And I looked him in the face and I said, well, uh, I probably can unless the president comes. And he would have <laughs> thought I shot an arrow in his heart. <laughs> uh. And he goes, well, I'm not coming back this weekend. I said, well, thank you, sir. And I got off the uh, helicopter. My aide and I were walking over to another helicopter uh, to go back to Baton Rouge and, uh, about that time, Joe Hagan, who was a deputy chief of staff in the White House, tapped me on the shoulder and I turned around. He said, uh, President Bush wants you to fly back to Washington on Air Force One with him. We accepted. Oh, that's great. So years later, you're getting ready to retire, but President Obama wants to name you the National Incident Commander after the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Um, did you use the same criteria and talk to Pam again of uh, in deciding whether to take that job or not? Well, it was a little different. First of all, I was a sitting commandant at the time, so there was nobody else in the Coast Guard I had to figure to explain this to other than myself. Uh, I was uh, qualified to do it because I'd been involved in the oil spill response in the past, and my graduated uh, experience in the service uh, gave me some insight on how I might approach the job. Uh, but I was only a... Uh, the, uh, the rig blew up on the 20th of April, uh, 2010. I always remember that because it was Pam's birthday. Um, and I was scheduled to retire on the 25th of May. Uh, but there was a real issue about credibility of the response in the Gulf. Uh, I had a relationship with most of the leaders in the Gulf, and I had uh, what I thought was credibility with the uh, uh, civilian community in the Gulf. And so when they asked me if I would assume the National Incident Command, uh, I did that. 
it's a little different for a man-made disaster than a natural disaster. There are a different set of legal authorities that apply. In particular, Deepwater Horizon was outside state jurisdiction and there was clear federal preemption. So rather than trying to work with the state and local governments on what was their uh, response and support them, uh, I was in a position to manage what was going to be a federally led response. We'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor, Admiral Fat Allen. Remember, you can listen live to our Saturday broadcasts anywhere in the world by going to San Francisco 860 The Answer. This is Dan Hesse, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO-level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially nonprofits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at KML-PC.com. That's KML-PC.com. KML-PC.com. And mention The Mentors. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Dan Hesse, and I'm with former U.S. Coast Guard Commandant Admiral Fat Allen talking about the importance of teamwork and culture. So you, you know, you described, Thad, the incredibly complex and diverse group of stakeholders that were involved with Katrina, with Deepwater Horizon, the main players from the private sector, BP, they're kind of the culprit, but they're also really crucial to solving the situation. How did you manage the relationship with BP and particularly with kind of the politicians at various levels whose you know core competence is often just pointing fingers? Well, you've laid out the, uh, the core problem that I had to deal with. Uh, there were really uh, two things we had to deal with. One was to fix a problem, but the other one was to manage relations so you could fix the problem. And the main difference between a natural disaster and a man-made disaster is accountability, culpability, and responsibility. So while we were trying to uh, cap the well and stop the oil from going into the Gulf, 
<clears throat> there was plenty. There was a lot of political discourse on offshore drilling, and there was a lot of a lot of political uh, uh, maneuvering about whether or not the administration was relevant, whether or not they were being responsible and doing their jobs. At the same time, BP was responsible uh, for capping the well, and they had to be held accountable. And I had to manage the tension uh, between a corporation that was going to be held legally, uh, civil and criminally accountable for the event, but they were the ones that had to fix it. And then a political establishment that was relevant to the uh, constituents and trying to make it clear to everybody that BP wasn't calling the shots and they were in charge. As you might well imagine, that created some conflicts here and there, required a lot of mediation and discussion back and forth. And I would, I've told everybody uh, the main challenge I had during the entire Deepwater Horizon response was that interface between the private sector and the political establishment. This is Dan Hesse, and you are listening to The Mentors Radio Show. We're with Admiral Fat Allen reflecting on working with two U.S. presidents. So, uh, so Admiral, when, or Fadmiral, when dealing with a, uh, you know, a crisis, there's advantages to being on the front lines with the troops, kind of seeing what's happening on the ground. There's also advantages to being at headquarters slash command central so you can see everything that's going on. Um, where do you choose to lead from? Well, during Katrina, once I assumed the responsibility for the entire response, I uh, I set up a command post at the uh, joint field office that FEMA created in Baton Rouge. And basically, I had a hybrid uh, schedule where one, maybe two days a week, I would stay in the joint field office all day long, attending the issues that had to be taken care of there. Uh, on the other days, I basically was a circuit rider. Uh, I would get in a helicopter at uh, seven or eight in the morning. I might start over in uh, Mobile, Alabama and work my way back to New Orleans. And on another day, I might be uh, over towards uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, uh, going out talking to the first responders, trying to understand what they needed and talking with local leaders, especially the parish presidents in Louisiana that had to take some convincing from time to time. The government was really there to help them. So uh, it's a combination. You've got to make sure you've got the right command and control and staff work going on, but you've got to be seen in the field and you need to go into the field uh, to make sure that you understand what's going on. One of the big problems that Mike Brown had was uh, he went to Baton Rouge and never left there for the first week. And when I first met him in Baton Rouge, before I went to New Orleans, it was clear to me that we needed physical presence and leader need to be seen. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I found even at, at uh, you know, at Sprint, especially during uh, during the turnaround, I made it a point to go to the cafeteria every day for lunch um, just to pick up my lunch very often because I was busy just to walk across the campus and be seen by people walking across the campus and seen walking through the cafeteria. The number of people that would see you just being visible was 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 really important. Um, so talking about leading during crisis, that what kind of demeanor should a leader project and kind of, kind of personify when times are tough? Well, I think there are a couple of things you have to be concerned about. Number one, uh, you've got to be seen as a competent manager of a large enterprise and not be so consumed with details or politics that you're not paying attention to everything. So requires you to kind of manage a portfolio of interests while you're doing that. Uh, but in the long run, uh, if you're going to be successful, you've got to be able to understand the stakeholders and whether it's a natural disaster or a man-made disaster, uh, what's important to them. Uh, and you and you cannot underestimate uh, the impact of being empathetic, listening to people. You may in the long run not do exactly what they want or meet all their needs or requirements or desires, but you have to listen and they have to feel that you understood what they said, and they realize the decisions will have to be made and may not be always what they want. Uh, but you have to be able to do that and explain to people what's happening and that you understand how they feel. Yeah. Um, you know, I asked a similar question to, uh, uh, to Admiral Mullen, and he talked about also the importance of remaining calm, um, you know, uh, in, in, in times of, you know, in times of crisis. Uh, Mike Mullen is a very, very good close friend of mine, and I admire him greatly, and I subscribe to that completely. Uh, what 
nobody needs to see is their leader melting down in public. Yeah. Um, you know, from a personal point of view, I've, I've witnessed that and then heard about it where, um, you know, uh, the leader criticizes, berates the folks and, um, you know, just actually listening to, I was listening to Travis Kelsey, Kelsey being interviewed, um, after the game, um, and, you know, after the Super Bowl, and he was asking, what did Andy Reid say at halftime? Uh, and here, you know, only one team in history had ever come back from a double-digit deficit in the Super Bowl to win. And he was talking about how calm he was. And he was telling everybody, look, we've got this. Just everybody be yourself. And that kind of leadership really works. And when somebody kind of loses their temper or loses their cool, uh, especially the leader, they do they do more harm than good. I think you're absolutely right. Um, well, I've uh, I've told people many, many times, being a hot-headed young officer when I started out and had to learn the hard way, that uh, when you lose your temper, you give control to somebody else. Very true. Um, by the way, given this is Mentors Radio, you mentioned Admiral Mullen. Um, you know who are who are your mentors, and how did they help you develop? Well, Mike Mullen's certainly a mentor, and I would have to say uh, uh, he had no uh, legal or organizational responsibility for what was going on during the oil spill, but I would get an occasional call from him wanting to know if I was getting sleep and how I was doing, and uh, even made an extraordinary effort to come down to New Orleans and walk through our command post and hand out coins and thank everybody for what they were doing. So I've got extraordinary uh, respect and admiration for Mike. Um you can learn and be mentored by anybody. Uh, chiefs, warrant officers, a list of people that have worked for me, admirals that I've worked for. Uh, a lot of people can give you inspiration and kind of show you the way. You've got to be open to it. And uh, in addition to emotional intelligence and empathy, uh, you got to be a lifelong learner. And that means you got to be able to listen to people uh, that are smarter than you are or have a different uh, view uh, that can enrich how you think and how you make decisions. Absolutely. Um, we'll be back in a few minutes with our guest mentor and the recipient of two master's degrees and five honorary doctorates, retired Admiral Thad Allen, talking about deciding which difficult assignments to take. This is Dan Hesse, and this is the Mentors Radio Show. A lifetime ago, young naval aviator Tom McGuire took the oath of allegiance to support and defend the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Now a San Francisco PD homicide inspector, McGuire hadn't thought about the oath in years, but that was all about to change. A famous local newspaper columnist had been murdered. For McGuire, there's an eerie chill of recognition about it, hearkening back to his days as a prisoner of war after being shot down in North Vietnam. A lifetime ago, another young naval pilot took that same oath. Also shot down in battle, he too spent time as a POW, same camp as McGuire. After 30 years, their lives were about to cross once again. But how and why after all these years? Multi-award winning mystery author Dennis Kohler's The Oath can be found online or for an autographed copy at oathbook.org. That's oathbook.org, oathbook.org. It's Karen, executive producer of The Mentors Radio, and we're thrilled to have my pillow back as a sponsor. All of us here are huge fans of Mike Lindell's products. When I got fed up with the chemical smell of other pillows, I figured my pillows made in the U.S. I'll give them a try. That was years ago. Now I own six pillows. I use their cotton towels, their 100% Giza cotton bed sheets, and I give them away as Christmas gifts. Every product has exceptional quality and attention to detail. Towels are thick, absorbent. Sheets are soft, smooth, high thread count. Our radio host, Tom, and everyone we know who's tried these products has the same experience. Use our code MENTORS to get a 60-day money-back guarantee and up to 60% discount. Go to MyPillow.com forward slash mentors. You must include the code MENTORS. That's MyPillow.com forward slash mentors or click the banner on our website. And now... Back to the Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Dan Hesse, and I'm talking with retired Commandant of the U.S. Coast Guard, Admiral Fat Allen, 
about leading during a crisis. So, uh, so Thad, you talked about President Bush, what he was like. What was President Obama like to work with? Well, he was terrific as well, but uh, they both had uh, have different personalities, as we all do. Uh, but it's interesting to be able to interact with them on a personal level. Uh, he's much more quiet, uh, maybe a little bit more introverted than, than President Bush, but uh, completely absorbed in what he's doing, very thoughtful guy, and uh, is an information sponge and walks around and talks to everybody, uh, demonstrates uh, care and empathy in just whatever he does. I, uh, I guess my own my most personal contact with him was uh, uh, we had gone down to Pensacola uh, during the oil spill and we're on our way back in Air Force One. And uh, I was sitting outside the conference room up front on Air Force One, kind of lost my thoughts. And I looked up and he had sat down right next to me. And uh, he looked at me and he said, do you have enough resources to do this? Is there anything I need to do for you? And I had said, Mr. President, uh, there's not a bo enough boom in the world to satisfy all these governors in the Gulf, but I need to manage this and allocate scarcity and need to hold me accountable. And then I said, what I think we really need to do is uh, have the military take control of the airspace in the Gulf because we've had six near mid-air collisions. And I'm concerned about our ability to create a common operating picture and deploy our resources the way we need them to do. And I'd like to call uh, Chief of Staff of the Air Force, uh, Northern Command, and uh, Mike Mullen and talk about that. And then he did something I wasn't expecting. He got over about, uh, I'd say, six inches from my nose. And he said, Dad, do what you need to do, but just remember there are no do-overs. And <laughs> I said, I got that, Mr. President. So uh, that was my formal uh, performance feedback and counseling I got. Uh, it was clear and unambiguous, but it was understated, very quiet, and very strong. Uh, well, Thad, you've, you're obviously you know, an extremely successful person. Um, how how do you define success? Well, I think the basic metric is happiness. Hmm. Uh, and you can define that a lot of ways. Uh, a lot of people uh, define happiness a lot of ways, whether it's what they do, uh, the things they're involved in, what they have, uh, their relationships, and so forth. Uh, when I started out in the Coast Guard, uh, I had a five-year commitment after I uh, agreed to go to the academy to play football. So I had to kind of change my attitude about what I was going to do in life. And uh, the more I stayed in the Coast Guard, the more I was involved in operations, uh, I got hooked on the uh, public service, uh, search and rescue, helping people out. It becomes uh, pretty addictive, uh, both emotionally and from a job satisfaction standpoint. So uh, uh, over the lifetime, in addition to my family, my my relationship with my wife and everything else, the uh, the satisfaction of working in a service like the United States Coast Guard with the people they have and what we do for the country. Uh, you can't get a better job, and uh, I'm a pretty happy guy. Oh, that's great. This is Dan Hesse. You are listening to the Mentors Radio Show. We are with former U.S. Coast Guard Commandant Admiral Fat Allen talking about a delay in his retirement plans. Uh, so um, on the subject of, of you know, kind of happiness, broad view of, of success. If you just were to take a look at success in your military career, in your Coast Guard career, what do you think were your key qualities or attributes that led to your success? Well, I think operationally, uh, I over the course of my first, I'd say five to seven years, I became driven uh, to be successful in the operational missions I was giving. And that could be anywhere from uh, deploying a NOAA buoy off Cape Mendocino in the middle of the winter in a in, in a gale uh, to rescuing survivors uh, from a ship that had capsized. Um, so I, uh, every one of those, I focused on uh, trying to be the best who ever did that job. And even if I was planning a search case in an office, when I went in the morning, my attitude was nobody's dying on my watch and nobody's going to do this job better than I can. And I, I approached each job trying to be the best one that had ever done it. I wasn't, uh, but I tried to be. <laughs> so um, you, what do you think the differences are, if any, between effective military leadership and effective business leadership? Well, I had the opportunity after I retired to uh, uh, be affiliated with, with uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, a large firm, mm -hmm. uh, for about 10 years, first as a partner. An executive vice president, and then as an executive advisor. Uh, 
and uh, there are basic tenets of leadership that apply no matter where you're at. And, and I mentioned them earlier, lifelong learning, empathy, emotional intelligence. But in the long run, as you know, from your uh, your uh, uh, history with Sprint, um, there's always going to be a, a different motivating factor in the private sector having to do with the, the, the shareholders' interest, uh, fiduciary responsibilities, and things that are not part of the, uh, the government leadership model. On the other hand, in the government model, especially in the military, there's this prescribed uh, code of conduct and a, a set of discipline standards and actual legal statutes that tell you how you're supposed to organize things. And it's all based on the fact that uh, you're there to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And uh, unity of command, unity of effort, and mission execution becomes the uh, the return on investment for what you do on that side. Hmm. Well, you know, we talked about uh, mentors and your development as a leader and who you all learn from. And, you know, you worked your career kind of in close proximity to those around you, either on land or out on a, you know, out at sea or on, a, you know, on a ship or a boat, in the post-pandemic world, where there's a lot more remote work, um, do you think that you can develop really great leaders remotely when you don't have that close physical proximity with those around you? Well, I think for about two or a half or three years, we we're actually coping with how to do that. Uh, as we emerge from a post-pandemic, uh, in a post-pandemic world, uh, we're going to keep those virtual things that added value and made us more effective and save time. Uh, but you're going to have to go back and reach out and touch these people personally and reestablish those personal contacts. Uh, I have mentored people my entire life. I held the uh, leadership chair at the Coast Guard Academy for seven years and just stopped doing that about a year or so ago. But I still mentor Coast Guard Academy cadets. Uh, that are applying and to watch them go through the academy uh, and go to their first units. Uh, a young gal that I wrote a letter of recommendation for from Northern Virginia uh, just entered flight school. Uh, and it's uh, it's extraordinary to watch that and watch them develop as you go along. So, uh, uh, and, and, and frankly, at, at this stage, if they can get past the fact they're talking to an admiral, uh, uh, those are the most rewarding conversations I have. Yeah. We'll be back in a few minutes talking with our guest mentor, former lead incident commander, Admiral Fat Allen, about working with U.S. presidents to solve major problems. You'll find all of our show notes and links at TheMentorsRadio.com. When you're there, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of our shows. This is Dan Hesse, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. I rely on science-backed, high-quality, bulletproof collagen protein and other bulletproof products. My sister told me about it. At feelgreat.vip, you can learn the health journey of bulletproof founder Dave Asprey. Find out what sets these products apart from the rest. Nothing can replace the advice of your medical doctor, but good nutrition can absolutely enhance your mood, energy, and focus like it did for me. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than 1 million fans, 1 million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. Feelgreat.vip to learn more. It's Karen, executive producer of The Mentors Radio, and we're thrilled to have MyPillow back as a sponsor. All of us here are huge fans of Mike Lindell's products. When I got fed up with the chemical smell of other pillows, I figured my pillows made in the U.S. I'll give them a try. That was years ago. Now I own six pillows. I use their cotton towels, their 100% Giza cotton bed sheets, and I give them away as Christmas gifts. Every product has exceptional quality and attention to detail. Towels are thick, absorbent. Sheets are soft, smooth, high thread count. Our radio host, Tom, and everyone we know who's tried these products has the same experience. Use our code MENTORS to get a 60-day money-back guarantee 
and up to 60% discount. Go to MyPillow.com forward slash mentors. You must include the code mentors. That's MyPillow.com forward slash mentors or click the banner on our website. Are you a small to mid-sized business looking for a tax, accounting, or CFO level advisor to handle or guide your company's financial decisions? Consider KMLPC. KMLPC excels in creating easy-to-use, customized financial systems for small to mid-sized entrepreneurs and companies, especially nonprofits. KMLPC supports and protects their clients' vital interests, offering a wide range of accounting and bookkeeping services in addition to CFO guidance. They prioritize digital integration and their exceptional staff will make your life and even taxes so much easier. Their client list is a who's who of nonprofits and entrepreneurs, clients who've stayed with them for years and won't go anywhere else. So if you need financial or tax help for your business or nonprofit, contact KMLPC today at KML-PC.com. That's KML-PC.com. KML-PC.com. And mention The Mentors. And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. Welcome back. This is Dan Hesse, and I am with guest mentor, former U.S. Coast Guard Commandant Admiral Fat Allen, talking about success. So, uh, Admiral Allen, you went back to school and got two master's degrees. How important is lifelong learning to you? It's incredibly important, and it's becoming more important with the rapid advance of technology and change in our society. Uh, if you figure you've plateaued, you don't need to learn anymore, uh, you're slowly going to regress. You're going to be left in the wake of everybody else in society. Uh, so I've tried to continue to do that. Uh, as I tell everybody, you can never know everything, so you can never know enough. And it, it has to be a constant struggle. You need to be insatiably curious. The question is trying to decide what it is you're going to focus on and what it is you're going to learn and what it is you're going to do. Uh, I was remark- remarkably lucky in the fact that I my two master's degree, one is a public administration degree, and the other one is, you know, is management science from the Sloan School at MIT. So I have a basic educational background on how government's supposed to work and how they, they use authorization and appropriations versus, and we talked about this earlier about how the private sector works, shareholder value and things like that. Uh, it uh, served me incredibly well in trying to broker uh, conversations between the White House and the BP chairman of the board and their senior leaders during the oil spill. Incredibly valuable. Yeah, you know, I can just tell you in in business, technology is just changing every industry so rapidly. I was fortunate when I was running Sprint, I had two young, you two young boys, and I just watched what they did and how they use technology and how they use devices. And, you know, kind of my briefcase, I remember I had all these magazines, Wired, Fast Company, Laptop, MIT Tech Review, and you know you just have to read that stuff voraciously to stay up with it. Um, yeah, uh, one of the things that I'm well known for inside the military establishment, uh, when I became the commandant in 2006, these were the the years where Facebook and Twitter were taking off, and I knew immediately that if I was going to connect with my people, that I'd have a way to use social media, mm-hmm. but use it constructively. Well. Inside a .gov domain, and we're all familiar with cybersecurity issues right now, yeah. it's almost impossible to kind of do that. So I went down to an Apple store. I bought myself a Mac, and I got an iPhone, and I set up a blog called iCommandant, and I just started working off off the grid uh, until my, my lawyers had to kind of channel me a little bit on some of the stuff I was doing. Um but I got quite a reputation for being the first one that stuck his toe in the water on that. And sometimes you have to create a standalone device that's isolated from everybody else that allowed me to interact with my uh, my folks a lot more than I would have been able to otherwise. Um, that, that's uh, that, that's really interesting. I understand the cyber issues, uh, but uh, but well done. By the way, in business, you know, talks about speed and particularly in crisis. You know, the speed that companies operate is usually determined by how many decisions are made each day, which is directly related to how many decision makers that you have. Didn't the Coast Guard kind of have a a culture of delegation and empowerment all the way down to the front line that 
that actually is fairly unusual for a military organization? You're absolutely right, Dan. I think one of the things that drew me to the service after I decided I was going to stick around was the fact that uh, they put people in command at such an early age. Um, when I was 25 years old, I was the commanding officer of a Loran transmitting station, forerunner of GPS in Southeast Asia at the end of the war, 500 miles north of Bangkok with 35 people. And we had to keep an electronic signal on the air so the forces could navigate by it. Uh, every place I've been, next echelon of command, I've been given more and more responsibility. And I can't thank our service enough and the culture that's been created in our service that allows us to do that with our junior people. So, uh, so Thad, what do you do for fun? I like music. I like all kinds of music. Uh, we like coming down to our place in South Carolina and just looking at the ocean. Uh, we, we love our grandkids, uh, spending time with them and traveling and, uh, you know, doing the things that retired people do. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, um, was the uh, was the military career good for your kids? I mean, it seemed like your dad's was good for you. Was it good for your kids, you think? I think so. I think so. They're radically different. I have uh, uh, assistant principal, uh, somebody that works for a, an association management, and uh, a rocket scientist that works at the National Reconnaissance Office. So they're all over the map, but uh, they're all helpful. Uh, they uh, got... Uh, Great careers, and we're very proud of them. Well, thanks for joining us today, Thad. Your stories have been full of life and leadership lessons for our listeners. We have been talking about leading during a crisis with a man labeled by Time Magazine as the master of disaster, retired U.S. Coast Guard Commandant Admiral Thad Allen. Please go to TheMentorsRadio.com and subscribe. You can also listen to us online on any device, anytime, on any podcast platform like Apple, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Spotify. Join us next week at the same time for another edition of The Mentors Radio. Until then, this is Dan Hesse signing off for today. Remember, we're never too knowledgeable or experienced to stop learning. It's been The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business. To get more information about the program or a sponsor, to download a podcast of today's show, or to leave a question for our host, go to TheMentorsRadio.com. That's www.TheMentorsRadio.com. The preceding program, copyright CBJ, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>